Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. And a special welcome to our 50th birthday edition. I'm broadcasting from the Nadal Valley, south of Keswick, and I'm saying hello and happy birthday to author and illustrator Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Hello, David. This is a real bunting day. We've come of age today, really. We've reached uh, the big fibo, and I've got a little something to play you, Mark, here from the uh, a long time ago. Here's a little clip for you. Hello and welcome to Country Stride, a new podcast celebrating the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria. I'm sitting here today with Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello, David. Chilly start to the day. Oh, yes, it was. It was very wet overnight. I was a bit nervous about how today's going to pan out. Uh, we're going to climb Scorfell Pike and it's, it's a great mountain, but uh, in bad weather, it's quite a challenging undertaking. There we go, Mark. A blast from the past. That's August 2018. We were just young podcasters at that point. Veritable teenagers. Well, before even that, newborns. So that's where it all began. And that wonderful walk up Scorefell Pike we had then with the uh, Fix the Fells team. And since then, we've been literally all around the county. We've been to the furthest West Point, Mark, St. B's Lighthouse, would that be? Yes, indeed. And um, Pleasant Bay. We've been to the Solway Marshes on the north coast. We've been to Walney Island on the south. And I don't think we ever quite worked out the furthest east we had been, whether it was Dentdale or potentially could have been Malastang. Well, we went to the most remote Cumbrian easterly farm, Birkdale, when we walked on the Pennine Way. OK, well, then maybe that's it then. That's just below Cow Green Reservoir. That's it. You've got it. Right, now at the end of today's podcast, we're going to have a little bit more of a chat and pick some of our personal highlight walks from the 50 that we've done. Um, Well, actually, not quite 50 because some have been under lockdown conditions, but we're going to chat about some of our favourite moments. But before that, Mark, we have a job to do and a podcast to record. Yes, Big Search is a special occasion. We thought we ought to engage the next generation, those who will take on from us in the future and um, represent the spirit of what Cumbria might mean in the next 20 or so years. So we have three young people today, Mark, from all around the county. Who are they and where they're from? Well, there are two Rachels, Rachel Jessett from Kendall and Rachel Owen, who's come to Cumbria and is at Carlisle University of Cumbria. And we have Matt Sowby from Kirby Lonsdale. Great. And so what we're going to do, we're going to largely hand over to them and hear what they have to say about growing up in Cumbria, about their love of the outdoors. We're going to talk about some of the challenges facing young people, jobs, housing, and we're going to invite them to become MPs for a short amount of time to solve some of those potential problems. But we're also going to hear from them, aren't we, Mark, about some of the things that they love about this county and favourite walks, special places. Without further ado then, I'm going to take a back seat and listen to you and Matt, Rachel O and Rachel J. Let's go and meet them. remotely meeting up with three marvellous guests, Rachel Owen, Rachel Jessett and Matt Sowerby. And I'd like to ask our first guest, Rachel Owen, to tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, I'm Rachel Owen. I am a student at the University of Cumbria studying in Carlisle, but previously I'm from Kenilworth in Warwickshire. Uh, I'm studying wildlife media. My other interests are mycology and writing and being in the great outdoors and photography. And my dream job is to be a producer for wildlife documentaries. Thank you very much, Rachel Owen. Our next guest, Rachel J. Rachel Jessup, a little bit about yourself. Hello, I'm Rachel Jessup. 
I am from Kendall. I've lived in the same house all of my life. And then I've moved to York, uh, where I'm studying at university. I'm studying film and television production. Obviously, one of my passions is film, and I'd love to go into either documentary or general non-fiction television. My other hobbies are, I love food, so cooking and baking are my other two massive passions. But I also love uh, mountain walking, being with my friends and family, and just being outside. Excellent. Thank you, Rachel J. And now, Matt Sowerby. Hello, my name is Matt Sowerby. I'm 19. I'm a poet from Kirby Lonsdale in Cumbria. I study in Birmingham. I've been involved with activism in various forms um, around climate, around food poverty and bits around mental health as well. So really interested in youth empowerment, language, activism. Grand. Now I'm going to censor you all. That's marvellous. So let's kick off and we're going to start by talking a little bit about the north of England. Matt and Rachel Jay, you've both grown up here. While Rachel O, you've come to study here and fallen in love with Cumbria. Rachel Jay, one of your passions is filmmaking. Talking about the north of England, northern identity, could you define it? I guess I can only give a personal definition, but to me, being northern is about being proud of where I'm from. And it also means I think northern people are very happy to dig in and just get on with it and to embrace things and that's something that I definitely feel like I am um so that's the sort of spirit that I've kind of kept on going but that's to me what stands out as northerness is just taking things in one stride I suppose. Matt can we meaningfully talk about the north or a typical northerner? Like a lot of things it's just more complicated than a label can like put across yes in terms of a geographical area um, and and the people who identify it with it and connect with it but there's a danger like, with any label of people being reduced to it and of using broad strokes in our descriptions and and kind of clumping people together and making assumptions so i i suppose yes but also with the knowledge that there's there's nuance beyond that you're in university in the midlands do you find that fellow students have a stereotype of the North in their heads? It's a really weird one. At the University of Birmingham, most people are from Surrey. And so most of them actually think that they're in the North. The main thing that they really are shocked about is that they think it's like a really, really far away thing. And so like they ask me, like, how long does it take to go home? Um, and I say, like, oh, it takes two or three hours. And that's like about as long as it takes to get from London to Birmingham as well. But they assume that it's taken me like days on a on a donkey or something to get there. I think they just see it as unimaginably distant. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but it's like so far away because they just don't go there. Sometimes I say I'm from Cumbria and they're like, what is a Cumbria? And then sometimes um, I say that I'm from Kirby Lonsdale and they start like talking about pubs in my town. Um, so it really, really varies um, like case by case because obviously the Lake District is an area that so many Southerners get away to. Um, but then for some of them who don't do that, then it is a, a completely alien territory. Rachel O, you have a different perspective and experience to both Rachel J and Matt. You left the Midlands choosing to study up here. What what drew you to the university in Carlisle? Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat, really, because of um, the course I'm studying, Wildlife Media. You can only study that at the University of Cumbria in Carlisle. But I think I probably would have picked it anyway, because, you know, it's just such a nice place to be. I've really enjoyed being in Carlisle. Everyone is just so nice and friendly compared to perhaps some places down south. And the landscape is just so gorgeous. And coming away to Cumbria has, in a weird way, made me really appreciate the nature back home. I've certainly learned to look for it a lot better. Did you know about Cumbria and the Lakes before you came to study here? Not really. Um, I think I had been to Carlisle once before because... Weird story, my mum has sponsored a brick at Carlisle Cathedral, so we came to look at that. But no, not really. I'm not familiar with Cumbria at all. Both my parents know it quite well. Um, my dad's quite a keen bell walker and they've been out in the lakes a lot. But coming here and seeing the place, driving up the M6, you know, through the pass, it does a lot to my soul when I drive through there. The Loon Gorge. What's your impression of Cumbria and Cumbrian people? I really like you guys. I think you're all absolutely wonderful. Uh, I was very lucky. I settled in really quickly. So I'm a Christian. So I went to the local church near the university. 
and everyone was just so friendly straight off the bat when I arrived. Not, not that people aren't friendly down in the Midlands, but I definitely had a proper northern welcome when I got up here. And I really, really appreciated that. So have you been able to explore the county a bit? I can't drive, so that kind of limits where I can go. But I have spent some time on the trains on the West Coast, and I've really enjoyed exploring that area. I've done walks around Workington and St. Bees and stuff like that. And it's just been very lovely to get to know the area a bit more. Rachel Jay, coming back to you, your filmmaking. One thing you've noted in your work is the representation in national media often misses out on the North and people from the North. Can you say a few words about that? Yeah, so obviously we've got things like Coronation Street or whatever that are supposedly Northern representing, which is great. But I think that there is a very London-centric sort of sway in terms of presenting everyday people. And it's not that it's necessarily damaging, but I think that, you know, the UK is such a vast place. And I think that we've had a different upbringing, we've had a different life. That's something that never really gets talked about at all, because I do feel very much different from people from London, because I feel that I don't have all of these like resources of museums and shops and things that I can always go to. And in a way, I think Northern people are more resourceful. And I think that's really interesting. It's never really spoken about that much. If we accept the North is underrepresented in the national media, why does that matter? For me, my identity very much comes from like where I have originated from. People are who they are because of where they've come from. And I think that introducing that into film and into media is really interesting, just in terms of making round characters that have actually experienced different things from each other. Seeing yourself or seeing somebody in the media who looks like you or who is like you is massively influential in what choices you will make and where you will end up. So if you see very little representation of northernness in say acting you probably will think well northern people can't really act so I I don't know if I can really do that because I'm not able to penetrate that so I think that the media has this massive influence in terms of representation but also in the fact that individual stories have a massive influence in talking wider than the narrative themselves so If you take God's Own Country, which is a film made maybe three years ago about morality and sexuality, so two gay men in a real community getting together and and the stigma that that brings up. And, And obviously that's just one film, but that is tackling a variety of issues and it's creating representations and it's creating ideas that people haven't thought about before. So I think that a single film can be massively influential in the way that we think about anything, especially to do with northernness, to do with identity and to do with environmentalism, for example. So I think I would never be able to underestimate the power that stories and the media have in changing our minds about things. If it comes to reporting on a story in the media, if a lot of the people who are doing that reporting are in the South, we have both a London-centric art scene and a London-centric media, then it's just going to be the opinions of those people who are represented. This is the same problem as we have in politics, the fact that it's more difficult for Northern MPs to get to Parliament and represent their people. So a lot of them just move you know, move to London. And at that point, they're at a disadvantage in uh, representing the people that they're meant to represent. So geographically, we're just at a disadvantage when everything comes from the South. Matt, how do you feel about the health of the arts in Cumbria? Poetry in Cumbria is a weird exception in that that particular art form in this particular place is very strong because we have a a legacy of Wordsworth and we have a scene that has inherited that strength. Not to say that there aren't fantastic poets in other places, but there's just not that scene or infrastructure to the same level. You mentioned Wordsworth and the Romantic Poets. That's huge in terms of tourism as well as the arts up here. Do you think sometimes that it's a kind of a millstone around Cumbria's neck? Yes and no. I think that there's a tendency with with someone like Wordsworth, uh, who people have strong opinions about. I certainly did not like Wordsworth for a very long time uh, and did not connect with his poetry. Still don't to a lot of it. And there's there's a tendency to want to kind of move away from that and separate yourself from that. I think there's a lot that needs to be acknowledged about what he has done for the area you can look at it in two ways you're either growing up in someone's shadow you're growing up um, standing on the shoulder of someone else who was a lot bigger 
the reality is it falls somewhere in the middle or is a bit of both. Right, I'm going to move on now, Rachel Jane. We're thinking about after university. In terms of the future and jobs, is there a strong pullback to Cumbria? It's such a push and pull for me personally, someone who's very much, I love being in nature and love being out in the outdoors. And when I'm here in York, I love like living here, but I miss being able to do that so much. Um, and although I still walk and things, it's still not the same. It's not it's not home, essentially. Um, thankfully, we have Media City, which is in Manchester, so it is in the north. And that's where I'm hoping to end up going. Because of the universities, York and Leeds both do have lots of production companies based here, which is great. In terms of Cumbria, Cumbria obviously doesn't really have any production companies or big production companies based up there. I think people think that a city is more suited for TV and film production companies to be based because, yeah, if we want to go to do some nice filming, we'll just send a group out and then they'll come back. So there's nothing based here when, in fact, there could be. And I don't know why there isn't. Matt, I suppose it's the same question. Is there a pullback to Cumbria? If so, does the potential lack of jobs impact on your decision making? Uh, hugely to, to, to both of those questions. Um, there's a massive connection to this place. I'd love to spend a big chunk of my life here. But you're right that there is like the thing to consider, which is jobs. And as creative people, I think a lot of us would just be happy to do what we want to do wherever we are able to do that. Um, and if that means moving somewhere else, then I think that's the thing that a lot of us would, would do. Um, and the other thing is house prices especially like in the Lake District in, in Kirby Lonsdale, which is just outside the Lake District. It's not cheap. And it's just another thing that needs to be considered, especially with our generation struggle with being able to afford our own homes in the future. Rachel Owen. It's difficult because I would absolutely love to stay here forever. I think this place is beautiful and I love the wildlife here. And I really feel like I've started to make a bit of a home here. But if I wanted to make a living for myself in the TV industry, as Rachel Jay has rightly said, all the production companies are much further south than Cumbria. That's especially true for wildlife media. Most of the production companies producing wildlife media contents coming out of Bristol. I just applied for a job the other day and I got turned down based on the fact that I live too far away from the employer. If I wanted like to pursue certain jobs, I would have to consider moving. And that's a great shame. I would absolutely love for there to be a production company based in Cumbria. I think that'd be absolutely wonderful for a whole host of reasons, including Northern representation. But at the moment, while it's not there, maybe it's something for us to do together. <laughs> but um, at the moment, I could potentially stay here if I was doing a job that wasn't in the industry that I'm training to be a part of. But then it's a sort of waste of training to just be doing a shop job for the rest of my life. So this is a question for all of you, and whoever wants to respond, please do. But it strikes me as being rather sad in terms of the brain drain to the candy when you have so evidently passionate and talented young people who would at some point come back and contribute immensely, but they uh, feel that they can't stay. There's plenty of people who have been born and bred in the lakes or Cumbria who have stayed here, but also... The majority of people that live in the lakes don't come from the lakes and have bought, not second houses sometimes, but they have bought houses and moved here. And that's great if they enjoy it. But I think in a way it does shove the young people away because the properties are too expensive. And there is very much, um, especially in, say, Kirby Lonsdale, there is definitely a much older population, which does drive away young people because Places like York, Leeds, um, Manchester have a very vibrant youth culture. Rachel Jay, you touched on this matter of the wealth that's coming into the National Park constantly, driving up the prices of houses. But it's not true everywhere, particularly on the fringes of the county. Carlisle, Barrow, around the coast. Matt, your experience is really interesting because during the first lockdown, you discovered but actually there were areas of Kirby Lonsdale that were suffering food poverty. So over the first lockdown, I was working as the point residence at a, a national anti-poverty um, charity, but I was also helping out a manual position at the Kirby Lonsdale Food Pantry. Uh, food pantries are this brilliant new system 
where they take food that was going to go to landfill, that was going to be wasted, that there was absolutely nothing wrong with it, just wasn't enough storage space or something like that. So well within its sell-by date, it was taking that food and allowing um, communities who needed it to access it. Uh, one of these got set up in Kirby Lonsdale when COVID kicked off. And the response from the community was absolute shock at the idea that there might be people who can't afford food in, in Kirby Lonsdale. We are seen and see ourselves as like a very middle class area. But in reality, a lot of the people who were, were claiming this food, but they're people that actually needed it before COVID. This isn't just... Uh, people that have been put in a bad position by the pandemic because when you get communities like that there is more stigma around poverty um, in, in those kind of communities there's a there's a poem by Wordsworth Tintern Abbey um, and it was shown in the 80s a, a, a critic looked at the uh, the area that he was describing and saw that actually there was a massive amount of poverty and pollution in this area that he just intentionally left out of the poem uh, when he'd been writing about it and it's this thing of like the pastoral idyll. And when we like try and make areas of the countryside nice, there's no room for complicated things. There's no room for poverty. Uh, there's no room for anything that people don't want to come on holiday to see. And so everything that you could feel shame about gets just swept under the carpet. Rachel Jay, can you give us your perspective? I think it was really interesting what you were saying before in terms of Barrow and Furnace. Um, I filmed my short film for the BFI, which was, I filmed that in Millen, which is near Barrow. And that is one of the most deprived areas in the county, but not only in the county, but in the country. And in terms of COVID, they have been massively impacted by that. Factory working is one of the biggest uh, employers in that area. So that is a breeding ground for COVID. And it meant that COVID spread like wildfire in those areas. Uh, and some people don't have the option to work from home. They have to go and work in a factory. And I think that people were shocked to find out the statistics for Barrow with, in terms of COVID. So I think there is definitely a correlation using the COVID thing to talk about um, poverty because um, they are directly linked. So let's change tack now. Rachel O, you've done some amazing work both on and off the campus to bring wildlife back into Carlisle. Could you talk to us a little bit about this? Yep. I'm one of the University of Cumbria Wildlife Society's founding members. Uh, we set this up as a student group in my very first year at the university because we decided that we wanted to make the campus sort of like a wilder place. So one of the things we did very early on was we had this um, large expanse of grass, which was just being mowed all the time. We went to the university and said, look, We'd like to improve the wildlife on campus. Can we protect some of that from being mown all the time just to make it a better space for wildlife? And the university said yes. And it's sort of gone on from there. So we've now got quite a big patch of land that is left to go wild, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, we've also built our very own photography hide and put in a feeding station for the local birds. And I mean, the wildlife has just absolutely boomed so much. It's not a massive area, but, you know, the, the amount of wildlife that's packed in on this city centre campus is just fantastic. We get hedgehogs quite regularly. We get foxes every now and again. We've seen a roe deer once or twice. Um, we get bullfinches, greenfinches, spiral hawks on the campus. Even the insect life and the wildflowers are just amazing. We've got um, some northern marsh orchids, which I understand are not that common. Now, that's quite exciting as well. Have you found it easy to engage other students? It's been mixed. Um, people do enjoy getting involved with the practical hands-on stuff. So before lockdown and everything, we used to do a regular work party event where people would come and get hands-on with some volunteering. So sometimes that would be litter picking. Sometimes that would be building bird boxes, cut the grass um, by hand sometimes. We've sown wildflower plant beds and all sorts of things like that and people really do enjoy getting hands-on with improving space for nature because actually people do enjoy gauging with wildlife in that way other times it's a bit difficult it's because people don't know what we're doing or because they're not particularly interested um but for the most part people have been very engaged with it like it's not just the wildlife media students that get involved with this we've had psychology students come and get involved um physiotherapy students uh, criminology students, um, yeah, all sorts of people that perhaps wouldn't normally engage with it have come along to find out what we do and they've really enjoyed getting involved. Turning to Rachel Jay, your love is more about the landscapes. Do you want to say a few words about that? Both of my parents, they were in outdoor education. They met actually 
working together, providing experiences in the outdoors for people with severe learning difficulties. So it's something that has always been important to them. Um, so yeah, I've always been sort of dragged on walks and things that I've never really enjoyed. And it's now one of my favourite things in the world to do. So to my parents' joy, <laughs> I've decided to you know get on board with it. And so they always joke, they think, oh my God, when you were a kid, you would have never, ever voluntarily come out with us on a walk and here you are so yeah it's um it's been a little circle of change (laughs) during the first lockdown when you returned to Kendall your relationship to the landscape became more important for mental health reasons I, I believe could you talk to us a little bit about that yeah so I've struggled with depression since I was about 15 and my probably worst period was that until I was 17 and then I moved to uni when I turned 19 or 18, I can't remember. And I found uni very anxiety inducing for me. And it got to quite a bad point this time last year. I essentially couldn't really leave my room. I was so nervous and anxious that I couldn't really do anything. Um, Couldn't even take a shower. So being almost dragged back to Cumbria because of lockdown was like my saving grace. And Although I was initially very disappointed to have finished that first year of university that I was expecting to be, you know, partying and sort of enjoying my course and getting stuck in walking and being outside and being with my family in the outdoors was what made uh, lockdown bearable for me. And it also, my mental health has basically never been better during that period. So it definitely has this almost like power over me to make me feel like super relaxed and super in the in the moment which is something that I also struggle with so yeah the healing properties are endless really. I find walking hugely therapeutic the others have covered it wonderfully just to add my voice to that really that it's something that I've always done and that I find myself in Birmingham trying to find the wild spaces the canals and the little bits of forest I find myself naturally drawn towards those places because of what they do to me and how they make me feel. It is a really powerful thing, especially when you grow up with it and you have that relationship with it. And there's been loads of studies over lockdown that have said, you know, engagement with nature has been so important for so many people. You know, so many people have got out and engaged with nature where they are. It's been so important for so many people. For me, there was a patch of land just outside the back of my house that I'd never really paid attention to before. But during the lockdown, you know, I was out there every day just looking at how it was changing what flowers there were, what bugs there were, what birds there were. Absolutely incredible just to see this amazing diversity of wildlife literally on my back doorstep that I would never have paid attention to had it not been the fact that I was stuck in one place and having to look for it where I was. It's really important for people to get out and connect with nature, not only in terms of mental health, but also understanding the world of which we live in. I think it was David Attenborough who said it, how are they supposed to care for something if they don't know it exists? And that is so true. How can we get people to care about the natural world if they've never stopped to listen to the robins in the bushes before because they're too busy going backwards and forwards to work? I wish the COVID-19 pandemic hadn't happened because so many awful things have happened. But I suppose there is something of a silver lining that we can glean from this, that people have become more connected to their natural world in this way. Turning to you, Matt, we're zooming out to to the macro scale from Cumbria. You played a a key role in... uh, climate activism in Kendall and it's true Rachel Jay the same can you talk to us a, a little bit about local activism and its relationship of course with worldwide activism there's the saying think local act global I think we need kind of the opposite at the same time as well we need think global act local as a world we need to be returning to our communities I think there needs to be a, a movement for environmental reasons for uh, seeing what we can provide for ourselves. Um, and I think that's incredibly powerful. And I think there's such a, an opportunity to do that here in Cumbria because we do have such a strong heritage um, of environmentalism. And because we are a tourist area and so many people come here and, and try and find something that it can take away back home, like wouldn't it be amazing if what they took away was inspiration of like how to live more environmentally, how to be closer to nature. And I think that is beginning to happen. There's, there's a lot of really exciting things that are, are happening here. There is a tension of how we're going to remodel the payments to farmers in the years ahead. That, that is the tension between farming for wildlife and farming for profit. I'm interested, Matt, 
as somebody who's brought up in a rural setting, do you have a particular view? I think this is an excellent question is because I very much feel that tension in myself. Um, I'm from five generations of farmers. Uh, our farm stopped operating around the time that I was born, um, as a lot of farms in the area have done. James Rebank has talked about this incredibly eloquently and in a way which very much echoes a lot of what I hear just talking to my grandparents um, about their experience of farming and the way that farming has changed. You've got less and less farmers in the area and those farmers are working incredibly long hours um, and as a result their voices are rarely heard. So there's this perception of this massive cultural divide between farmers and environmentalists, for example, that uh, is just getting more and more entrenched. But that completely ignores the fact that so many farmers see themselves as custodians of the land um, and stewards of the land. While there are differences and, and some reforms do need to be made in farming as reforms need to be made in every part of society, there is so much opportunity for collaboration if we're able to see the farming community as the ally to the environmental movement that it really could be. As you know, James Reedbanks is doing some fantastic work in Cumbria about nature-friendly farming. And there are plenty of people that are interested in taking up that conversation, both in Cumbria and around the country. I know down at NEP in Sussex, they've been doing an amazing job at nature-friendly farming. They've turned around their economic fortunes as well as the environmental fortunes of their area. And that's just fantastic. OK, well, we'll move the discussion on. And we're now going to make you honorary MPs for Cumbria. We're going to give you the power to change the county in all sorts of wonderful ways that you choose. We're going to start with jobs. Matt, what one thing would you do to improve the number, variety and quality of jobs in this county? And I don't just mean for young people, but for all of us. I think we just need more investment in the, the Whitehaven area. Part of the problem with this whole coal mine is it's so difficult to argue with someone who's on the brink of poverty or in poverty that they shouldn't have this job opportunity. But we just need green investment in that area. No one wants to see poverty continue there. Well, I definitely back up, Matt, with the uh, thought of green economy on the West Coast. There's such a knowledge and expertise base on the West Coast of Cumbria anyway in terms of the energy sector. Imagine what we could do if we could invest in a green energy sector and, you know, get that knowledge and expertise doing something that is going to be really environmentally friendly and a world-leading, world-class green energy coast. Wouldn't that be something really to be proud of in Cumbria? That would be absolutely fantastic. And then also, as Rachel Jay has said, more investment in the arts. And wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a TV studio or production house based out of Cumbria, representing the stories that matter to the county? Possibly part of the problem with Cumbria is that in terms of TV and radio, we're represented by two different areas. One that's sort of controlled by the northern borders and the northeast. And then the south part of the county is represented sort of from that Manchester area. Wouldn't it be great if there was sort of like a cohesive production company that was producing content for Cumbria by Cumbrians? I think that'd be fantastic. You're getting Rachel J nodding profusely there. So let's move on to young people. Rachel J. What one thing would you do to improve the life chances of young people in the county? So I think that the mental health provisions in the north, especially in Cumbria, are nowhere near as uh, well funded and as established as they should be. In the north, there is a really high number of young people with mental health problems, but because we don't have the services to be able to help those people, those problems get worse. And a lot of investment goes into NHS services in the south and more needs to be done in the north. So I think that's something that very much is a priority. Rachel O, what are you going to do for young people? I think a key thing is going to be ensuring that young people have reasons to stay in the county. As we have said, there is a massive brain drain. Lots of skilled young people are leaving the area. Not quite sure what form that would take. Perhaps investing in startup companies, investing in young people that are trying to get businesses off the ground, investing in projects that are going to support young people to develop skills like business administration finance so that they can do things in Cumbria rather than going out to the cities and stuff like that. Let's move on to landscapes and wildlife. Rachel O, what one thing are you going to do for landscapes and wildlife? As your MP, I will be um, challenging the decision to open this new coal mine. I think that is something that needs to be discussed a bit more honestly and openly. OK, we know coal is bad for the environment, but a new mine has just been given the go ahead and it's going to have to shut down in 30 years. 
That doesn't seem like a sensible environmental solution or even a sensible solution for the local economy. I know that the west coast of Cumbria has massive deprivation in these areas. The discussion about the economic value of the coal mine definitely needs to be had, especially in the context of wealth inequality and poverty. But we can't ignore the fact that we are experiencing a global climate crisis and that does affect the people of Cumbria. We've seen so many flood events recently. I mean, Rickery Park in Carlisle is underwater so much at the moment. And that's because we've got a rise in storms because of the changing climate. And that's something that can't be ignored. Rachel Jay, what one thing are you going to do for landscapes and wildlife? So obviously farming is a massive integral part of Cumbrian tradition and also uh, livelihood. Um, And there are farmers that are struggling, supporting farmers in making changes so that we can both preserve our environment through making sure that our farming isn't damaging the landscape, but also in a bigger sense in terms of reducing our um, consumption of animal products. Matt, what have you in store for our landscapes and wildlife? I think that we need to do more work on our peat bogs and restoring them. I think that um, peat bogs are one of the best carbon capture technologies that we have, and Cumbria is one of the best places in the UK to have them. And if you look at, for example, the work of the Cumbria Wildlife Trust and what they've done in restoring peat bogs, the Cumbria Wildlife Trust is now a carbon neutral organisation the amount of carbon that they managed to capture through these natural processes of people restoration, which are also fantastic for wildlife. So I think that's a, an amazing opportunity that we've got here um, to just like capture a lot of carbon, both for climate and for wildlife as well. Well, we'll turn to transport. Rachel O, what are you going to do for public transport? In terms of the environment as well, I think public transport should be free. I think making public transport more accessible to anyone and everyone is going to go a great way into reducing everyone's carbon footprint and also allowing people to get more out and about. But I think also investing in other routes and other networks, getting the train into the Lake District, you're a bit limited in terms of where you can go. But the buses have got a bit further, they've got a bit more reach. I think there needs to be more investment in our public transport and how to make that more accessible in terms of financial stuff and in terms of where you can get to. Now, Matt, what are you going to do to get us about? Really, just to add to what Rachel O said, that I think that I fund that um, with the money that is currently going into HST. Um, I, I think that if you're wanting to improve transport to the north, you'd, you'd actually it'd be better if that money was spent improving transport links in the north. I, I think and, and creating an economy here rather than just trying to link our economy up to the one in London. Um, so that's that's how I would fund doing everything that Rachel O just said. Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said, Matt. It was, in fact, the point I was going to make. But I was also going to talk about the fact that even on a smaller scale, I think that there should be more allowance in terms of um, allowing young people to get out more into the lakes, but also to travel around because young people, I mean, I didn't get a driving license when I was 18 um, and I found that very difficult. I felt very trapped. Whereas when you can travel around more, it does mean that your life is a lot easier and you feel like you're getting the most out of where you live. So I think that there should be better provision for providing young people with either free travel or they should better advertise the reduced travel that they already offer. Because I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, Older people get free bus passes. So why shouldn't young people? They're trying to get jobs. They're trying to live their lives. They're trying to explore. Why hinder them by charging them loads? Matt, how do you feel about this? How do you take advantage of the visitor numbers and and the wealth flooding into the National Park to give Cumbria more widely a helping hand? Um, I'm reminded of when Daniel Defoe came to the Lake District and he was blown away by how hideous he thought it was. What that shows is that our our love of the Lake District is actually as constructed as a lot of the Lake District landscapes are as well. And I think there's a lot of hope in that because it shows that areas which in Cumbria are seen as less worthy of tourists, um, that is purely a matter of of framing and of, of art and of advertising and of storytelling which is why the Lake District was able to become what it was because of the picturesque movement and words was jumping on that wave to turn it into the tourist destination it is today. There's absolutely no reason at all why a similar thing couldn't happen to the rest of Cumbria as well. Um, so I think like investment in arts in areas in Cumbria outside of the Lake District is a fantastic first step to turning those into places where lots of people want to go on holiday as well. Rachel o, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I definitely agree with what Matt's just said. It's making sure there's a purposeful funneling of finances and you know investment into the areas that are not as well known as the the lakes themselves i think 
there's definitely scope for really interesting and unique tourism opportunities. I mean, on the Solway Coast, obviously, there's all the peat bogs. And I think that's not a resource that we tap into enough in terms of showing people because it is a very beautiful landscape in itself. But a lot of people don't know they're there or their importance. I think there's also opportunities for small small businesses, small ecotourism businesses to be started up in other parts of the county. If they just had some investment, they might actually be able to really attract some people. I know lots of people who are doing work in other parts of the country who are making small ecotourism businesses work. There's no reason why it couldn't work in Cumbria. Finally, we're coming to quick fire questions. Always popular with countryside listeners. Rachel J, what's the best thing about Cumbria? The best thing about Cumbria is the people. We are friendly, we are warm, we are outgoing. Um, And obviously I can't speak for everyone in Cumbria, but I think that as a culture, we are very nice people. So what's the worst thing? The house prizes. I would love to be able to come back and live here, but I'll probably just have to ring up mum and dad and ask for their house once they've decided to like go off and globe trot or something in their retirement. Recommend us a walk that you love. So my favourite walk is Coniston Old Man. I have very special memories of walking that with my dad and my dog. Incredible views. You can get it done in about five hours. It's not too uh, taxing. So that's my favourite walk. Recommend as a pub that you love. I'm a massive fan of beer. Um, and so the Watermill in Ings is one of my favourite pubs because they obviously make their own beer, uh, which is very nice. They do a lot of different ones. And also it is on the way back from the lake. So after a nice walk in the heat, we always tend to stop there for a bit of grub and a few beers, which is nice. Very good choice. When visitors come to see you, what one place would you take them to? One of my favourite spots in the whole of Cumbria is Orist Hairs because it's not too taxing of a walk. So people who aren't really walkers or don't really like really do that sort of thing. It's something that's very manageable, I think, for most people. But you get an incredible view of Windermere from the top um, with very little effort. So I would definitely take someone who'd never been before to sort of see the landscape in its full glory. Ah, Wayne Wright's very first walk. <laughs> and finally, recommend as a place that's very special to you. This isn't exactly a rural place, but the Hazelmere Cafe in Grange over Sands is my special place. I've had about three birthday parties there. The people who work there are really friendly and I have just really special memories of going there with my mum. That's one of my favourite places. And walking along the front is also very relaxing. I just enjoy being around pensioners. Apparently, I like the slow pace. That's my special place, Hazelnut Cafe. Rachel O, what's the best thing about Cumbria? My favourite thing about Cumbria has to be the River Eden in Carlisle. It's this amazing waterway that just flows through the middle of the city. And the wildlife is just absolutely astounding. I see otters there. I see kingfishers there. Uh, dippers, long-tailed tits, all these amazing, wonderful creatures. It's just one of my favourite places to walk, and I like going there with friends and stuff like that. It's a great place for a socially distanced walk. What's the worst thing about Cumbria? Honestly, it's your public transport. <laughs> it sucks <laughs> so much compared to like living in the Midlands, where I can get on a bus and it takes me 20 minutes to get to the city. I got the bus to Keswick. It took an hour and a half, and it cost £15. It does make the Lake District really inaccessible if you can't drive. Recommend as a walk that you love. My favourite walk in the Lake District, I've only done it once, but I'm dying to go back, is um, Tilberthwaite to Cathedral Cavern. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I went there for the first time a couple of years ago as part of a camp and the Cathedral Cavern has just got the most amazing acoustic in there. And I want to go back with a a choir and a, a voice recorder to go and record some music in there. Recommend as a pub that you love. This is not a Lake District pub. It's one in Carlisle. Um, it's Open Mind. It's a great little spot for like, it's a little artsy musical bar. Um, it's just a nice little cosy place where you can go and meet up with your friends and have a good chat after uh, a long night going looking for bats. Very good. When visitors come to see you, what one place would you take them to? Whenever I've had visitors, I've always taken them to Tolkien Town in Brampton. Little Glacial Lake. It's a nice, easy walk. It's only like a third of a mile or something like that. But again, the wildlife is absolutely amazing. And it's really rather beautiful. Like it's not 
it's not got the fells of the Lake District, but it is really, really nice to go to. And finally, recommend as a place that's very special to you. There's a place on the River Eden in Carlisle behind behind the big Tesco, which doesn't sound as glamorous as it as it looks. <laughs> but um, it's absolutely a gorgeous spot at sunset to just sit and chat with your mates. It's a really special place to me. And my friend and I, we we both feeling down one day. So we're like, we're going to go to the Eden. We're going to sit down there for a bit and watch the sunset. And just as the sun went down, a kingfisher flew right past our faces. It was absolutely amazing. And Matt, what's the best thing about Cumbria for you? I was going to say the the people as well, but that one's been taken. So I reckon I'm just going to go with the landscapes. So what's the worst thing about Cumbria? <laughs> the weather. I think you've got to sort of just pretend that you like rain. And sometimes I manage to. Recommend us a walk that you love, Matt. Uh, so it's my daily route at the moment um, is from Ruskin's View um, and then down the Radical Steps and towards um, uh, Devil's Bridge um, in Kirby Lonsdale. That's a great one. Recommend as a pub that you love too. Oh, God. Um, I worked at the Orange Tree in Kirby Lonsdale for two years, so I think I've got to say that one. Um, it's got a lot of memories there. They've got great steaks that I don't eat because I'm, I'm veggie, but they look great and they smell great. So go go have one of them. Very good. Uh, when visitors come to see you, which one place would you take them to see? If you stand at Devil's Bridge and you look up the hill, you can see the silhouette of a, a tree that was so big that it just split in half. And the, the, the split half bit is lying next to it and is as tall as another tree. Um, but you can kind of climb up it and, and sit along the broken edge and you get a view of the whole of the Loon Valley. And it's wonderful. I'd take anyone there. Could you finally recommend us a place that's extra special to you, Matt? um okay i'd probably have to say the farm where my my mum grew up it's been in the family for 100 years this year um and that's a very special place i think to, to all of us well that's been splendid i really enjoyed it thank you rachel owen thank you rachel jesit and matt sowerby i hope we all meet again in the great outdoors before too long here's to your future studies and i hope you're successful and i hope genuinely hope you get a chance to come back to Cumbria ultimately because Cumbria certainly needs people of your calibre and enthusiasm. Thank you so much. conversation and then mark and lovely to hear a wide range of views from three so passionate young people indeed uh, they love this county and who can blame them uh, it's worth saying actually that for this 50th edition we did record it a few weeks ago uh, and as a consequence of that the west coast coal mine plans have actually now been put on hold but I think it's still a live issue, isn't it? So who knows quite where that will go. But uh, just to give some clarity to the viewpoints that they expressed on that particular issue. Um, anyway, Mark, it's time to us to return to our very brief 50th birthday celebrations. Um, first up, I don't know if you've done this, but I asked you if you could add up how many miles we had walked since the start. Were you able to do that? Uh, well, it's somewhere in the order of 300 so okay. <laughs> that's a start anyway. That's not bad, is it? It's pretty humble. I think I've walked, walked 10 times that for the reasons. Yes, that's true, yeah. Each of us decided that we would pick three of our favourite walks from the whole time that we've been doing the podcast. And I should say, this is the walk that we're picking. It's not the quality of the guest or the conversation. Uh, and then each of us is going to pick a particular favourite moment or a particular favourite place that we went to. And then finally, each of us is going to pick a kind of undiscovered gem, a place in Cumbria that we'd never been to before, uh, which for you, Mark, is quite a challenge, I think. So let's start with you then, picking your three favourite walks that we've done throughout all 50 episodes of Country Stride. My first one has to be the one that I'd long wanted to do. When the Pennine Way was opened in 1965, I, I was in my mid-teens and um, I heard about it 
and I got the magic of it quite soon. And I got the message quite quickly that the walk from Teesdale into the Eden Valley was extra special. So that when we did it with Andrew McCloy, I sensed what that magic was. And genuinely, it was an amazing day. Wandering through the meadows by Falcon Clints to Cauldron Snout, and then to that Birkdale farm and across the moorland to hike up the revelation of the Eden Valley and the drop down in the later part of the day to Dufton. That was magic. Mm, yeah, so this is episode 18 back in September 9, 2019. I can see why you might make that choice. What's your number two favourite walk? Well, it was actually the one that I chose to celebrate my 50th year fell walking, <laughs> which is Pike Stickle, because I adore the Langdale Pikes. It was a lovely wander up, and we went up Mark Gate, mm, if you remember. That's right, I do remember that. And in fact, the weather was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Perfect you summer's could, day. Yeah, you could spend hours sitting on the top of Pikes Tickle. It's just magic. I seem to remember we did spend hours sitting near the top of Pikes Tickle because you kept talking to everybody we passed. That's very unlike me, David. I don't talk to you. I'm so antisocial. A.W. trained me, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have guessed it? Uh, And number three. Well, this is one that, again, was something I've long wanted to do. And this gave me the chance to do it when we walked on the highway. Okay, so just explain where that is, Mark. That is from Garsdale Head, the head of the Ure Valley of Wensleydale. And it's the old bridleway that cuts across into Malastang, into the head of the Eden and that was magic. And in fact, in two episodes, I walked all the way down to Kirby Stephen as good as. The second element we didn't do together because that was the only one episode where you weren't available. So I got a different producer. We had uh, Helen Milligan came along and helped. Yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about the fact that you've kind of semi-picked the only episode that I wasn't around for. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you mine now because this is extraordinary. We did this independently and I've, I've picked two of the same walks as you. I have picked that Pennine Way leg. I think the section of the Pennine Way from Middleton in Teesdale to Dufton is the finest leg of the greatest walk in the United Kingdom. Um, we didn't do all of it, of course. We did the Moorland Crossing from Langdon Beck. But it doesn't matter. It's it's just wonderful. Wild walking, the very best that the Pennines have to offer. Remember getting down to Dufton as it as it got dark. But yeah, so that's that's in my list as well. I'm also picking the highway in Malastang. <laughs> it's such a historic route, isn't it? And I always think of it as kind of springy and turfy. It's just this joyful, high level wander back down into Malastang from the tops. It's been used, really. I mean, it must be one of the oldest ways in in, in the county. And also the bird life there. And actually, the day we did it, there was so much noise of curlew, of lapwing, of oyster catcher. Uh, I really miss that in the Central Lake District. And it's there. Melodies wherever you walk. I think it's a wonderful walk. Third and final one. So you've obviously gone for the Langdale Pikes. I'm picking Weatherland, which we climbed with George Kitching. Um, this is episode 25. I think it's a kind of neglected fell, Weatherland, really. You know, if you go to the Coniston Fells, you tend to go up the old man, say. But there's so much to love about Weatherland, not least Tilberthwaite Gill at the beginning and the beautiful kind of larch forestry there. And then you get up into that big bowl and I could go up either Weatherlam Edge or Steel Edge. Steel Edge, of course, not a Wainwright route. Um, It's a lovely, grand, airy way up, isn't it, onto the tops. Great viewpoint. What's not to love about Weatherlam? Absolutely. A fabulous mountain. Going up a way like that, you're moving from the alpine trees of Tilberthwaite Gill up into the realm of genuine fell walking. It's magic. Okay, next up, we've each picked a special place. 
So this could be a, a town, it could be a building, it could be a mountain, it can be anything you like, but some, somewhere really special that you've discovered during these country strides. What are you going for here, Mark? Well, when we were with Jamie Lund, we were looking at the heritage of enclosure in the upper Langdale Valley. And he took us to the National Trust campsite and sitting all innocently amongst the larch trees was this humble stone. There's a path going past it about 10 yards away from it and people are completely oblivious to it. And it's potmark on the surface. And you know, that's part of the heritage of the stone axe production of the valley from the Neolithic time. And in all probability, mark the like a memorial to the end of the phase of that production. And it's felt that a lot of the rock art features actually mark transition points in a particular custom and activity. That was an interesting little spot, that, and um, Jamie's your man for things like that. Okay, so that's your special place. I'm picking for mine um, St Mary's Church in Rear. We visited Rear with Jamie Normington back episode 22, and I thought this was remarkable, Mark. So this was built um, under the direction of Sarah Losh, who had done this grand tour of Europe and been inspired by a lot of the architecture out there. It's a nice-looking church from the outside, isn't it? But nothing remarkable. But you go inside, and the carvings all over that church are extraordinary. You've got religious iconography, but alongside just these wonderful carvings of nature, you know, leaves and birds. And, I mean, I thought it was amazing. What did you make of that? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. It's loved by anybody who discovers it. I know Prince Charles, for example, venerates it. You know, various people who discover it, take it into their hearts and, and recognise it as very special. And in the churchyard, of course, there's the replica of the Bewcastle Cross. So it reflects our ancient times. OK, so final little question for each of us then. Um, this is an undiscovered gem. So this has to be somewhere that you just didn't know anything about before you went there. Well, actually, when you say gem... Some gems come in the form of stories or something that, that our guests are very knowledgeable in it, inside a guest givers that you weren't aware of. And, uh, and there's innumerable things of that nature. Canon Rawnsley put up a lot of memorials, for example, like Brothers Parting. I hadn't realised that he did that one. And the one to the Huntsman on Striding Edge. And I hadn't realised the impact he had in putting these features in the landscape so I think Canon Rawnsley's influence and the places he reflected on, I think they make special places. OK, so that's your something that you've discovered um, and these gems scattered around the landscape. For me, the undiscovered gem was the Solway Marshes. This was Country Stride 13 with Anne Lingard. Campfield Marsh you went to. Now, I'd not been to the north of the county before and after that first visit with Anne and with you, I've been back there a dozen times, I think. I've explored the north coast, Allenby, and its ice creams. Sealoth with its fantastic cobbled prom. I love the Solway Marshes. Last summer went there, which was last summer. We were walking along the boardwalks and little lizards darting in and out of the heather there. And those beautiful ponds... It's just, I mean, it doesn't really feel very much like Cumbria, does it? It's alive with nature. And in fact, country stride, we must get back to the coast as we move on into this summer. Because I think the coast of Cumbria is an unsold story. We need to sell the story much better, especially with the England coast path opening up more, uh, more of it. Well... On that note, uh, I think we do have a podcast lined up on that subject, don't we, at some point. We're coming to the closing minutes of this podcast, our 50th birthday edition. You can find all 49 previous episodes on our website at www.countrystride.co.uk. You can also send us an email from there if you like. The contact form is there. We are on social media, Mark. At Country Stride 1, Facebook and Twitter please do join us there. Uh, the best thing you can do to support us is to give us a five-star review on your podcast provider of choice. 
what's up next, Mark? Well, all being well, and I think it's absolute dead certainty, we're going down to Millham, uh, the Iron Town, to learn about one of the great writers on Cumbria, Norman Nicholson. Very much looking forward to that. But for now, after those three wonderful young people showing their passions for the county and um, Mark hearing your special bits from the last 50 episodes, we're signing off and looking forward to joining you shortly for the start of the next 50 Country Strides. Thank you all for listening.